0: All right. Well, let's get started today. O- obviously, John is not here. Uh, I-, I don't know why not. <laughs> Shirking his duties. <laughs> nope. I think he was paying attention to his duties uh, uh, th- this time around and joyous occasion from yesterday. So he'll be he'll be back um, next week. He's, he just finished up First John, um, and he's going to go ahead and do Second and Third John. And those those are like that big, so yeah. uh, so I think uh, I think he'll be done with those uh, first part of March, and then we'll have to determine what the plan is uh, after that. Uh, uh, so in, in about a month and a half or so. So uh, so I decided. Well, I'm gonna I'll I'll just. Pick up where where we left off, just so um, we don't we're not guessing. Are we there or there? We I guess we guess anyway. <laughs> are we are we going to combine with <laughs> with Psalms or not? And we'll try we'll try just to make sure that we're we're here as much as as possible, so we we don't have that confusion. And the last time I taught, which was probably about a month ago, um, I. Taught from Deuteronomy chapter six, uh, verses four through nine, known as the Shema, the great greatest commandment. So I thought, you know what? I think I'll just pick it up from where I left off and do the uh, the rest of the story, uh, as Paul Harvey might say. (laughs) Now (laughs) Now you know the rest of the story. So I thought, you know what? I'll just I'll pick it up. So we're going to we're going to be in Deuteronomy again, chapter six. This time we're going to cover um, verses, hopefully, verses 10 through 25. That's a pretty good chunk, but uh, hopefully we'll get through that. So what we see here in in total in, in chapter 6 is really kind of a... Um, a back and forth between commands given and then a response, what the, what the response is to those commands, and then more commands and another response. So it's almost like a call and response since we're in the music room. It's almost like that sort of a situation. The Shema, the, the great commandment is given uh, initially in, uh, in verses 4 and 5, of of chapter six, and then the response is that you are to teach these to your children constantly, <laughs> and uh, and so that's that's basically the short form of what we did last time, and and then we see the same kind of structure here in that we're going to see commands, and then a response to those commands. So let's go, first let's read uh, the command, the first commands given, and verses. 10 through 19 So Deuteronomy 610 through 19 to begin with so it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, When you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him, and shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as as you tempted Him in Massah. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, His testimonies and His statutes, which He has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in And possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to cast out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. So uh, just uh, as a reminder, remember that they are camped on the banks of the, the east bank of the Jordan, poised to go into Canaan after 39 years and 11 months of wandering and so finally, they're, they're ready to go in and Moses is giving some addresses, several addresses to the, to the nation before they go in, basically reminding them of the law, hence the name Deuteronomy. We talked about that last time, that it's kind of a, mis, it's a, a mistranslation of the term second law. It's not a second law. It's just Moses reiterating, this is the law that was given to us. It's still in effect. <laughs> and uh, so this, uh, it's not really a different second law. It's the same law, just a, a reminder. And so that's where we are in this setting. And again, last time we, we, uh, we hit the first part of this uh, chapter 6, and now we're looking at the second half. So we, we have, again, this, this kind of call and response when, when paired with Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Uh, As I I said before, so we're going to to now look at this, this, this second half Uh, again, since I taught last time, I thought, you know what, this is, I probably just ought to finish what I started here. And so that's what we're doing uh, uh, with this Verses 10 through 19 form another call or a series of commands Uh, Verses four and five were a positive form of what they were to do. And that is to love God. Love the Lord with all your heart and your soul and your strength. This is what you are to do—a positive command. Verses ten through nineteen are commands in more of a negative form. What they are not to do: don't do this. And finally, verses ten through twenty-five give Israel direction in how how they are to respond and act in light of the commands given. And so we have the initial commands in verse 4 and 5, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and then the response to that. And now we see more commands, and then another response in verses 20 through 25, and we'll read those in a few minutes. The, The Lord rescued Israel from a ruler, Pharaoh, who did not love them, Uh, Didn't have their (laughs) clearly didn't have their best interests in in mind. Israel was used in very cruel ways uh, by Pharaoh, but the Lord demonstrated His love for Israel, for His chosen people, by bringing them out of Egypt and caring for them as they wandered uh, through the desert. And then, and now, now they're poised on the banks of the Jordan uh, to the land promised to. Uh, their fathers. And so this passage begins in verses 10 and 11 with a description of how Yahweh uh, has blessed them as just before they're going to enter in. Yahweh promised Abraham, Isaac and Jacob that he would give them the land and make them a, a great nation. And here Moses is making it clear to Israel that they are about to receive the bounty of that promise, strictly because of God's love and because of his integrity to keep his promises, not because of anything they've done. And we'll see that. So in these two verses, Moses reminds them of God's grace and provision that is completely independent of their of their works or doing. Uh, first, the, the Lord their God will bring them into the land. It won't be through their strength. And Moses lists four ways in which Yahweh demonstrated his dem, will demonstrate His love and grace to them. They will receive large and beautiful cities, which they didn't build. <laughs> they will... Receive turnkey houses. Can you imagine? That, that's what everybody wants, right? Is is, is the turnkey house, um, fully furnished, with just the right furniture that you want, uh, decorated, the right paint colors, and everything. And that's what they're going to receive: these turnkey houses, ready to occupy and outfitted for their needs. What they didn't build, they didn't fill. They just get to walk into. They'll have wells and storage places, which they didn't dig, they didn't build, and vineyards and olive trees and farms, which they didn't plant. They can go in and have everything ready made for them as they go in and take the land. So Yahweh blessed them and would continue to bless them, assuming that they keep His covenant. They must keep the covenant with the Lord. Breaking the covenant would provoke the wrath of God and bring punishment. So verses 10 and 11 point to God's grace, to us as well. We think of what have what have we done for our salvation? We, it, a complete free gift. And so studying this, this is uh, these verses um, make us think of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. This is almost the Old Testament version of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, where we think of our salvation, by grace we are saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, that that anyone should boast about that. And so we see that here, that that's the message that God is giving to the children of Israel is there's nothing that you can boast about here. These are free gifts given by the grace of God and His love for you. It's their version of Ephesians 2, 8, 9 that we enjoy. So as we read this, we can think of our own salvation, that we had no part in it, and yet we can enjoy that gift of God, of peace with the Lord, with peace with God. So we have this beginning of... Of what God has done for them in verses 10 and 11 and what they are going to receive. And then we have some warnings. These are the commands, the warnings in verses 12 through 17. So after this account of God's blessing that they are about to receive, the tone changes and he has three stern warnings. So it's like, you're going to, all this you're going to receive, but watch out. Watch out, and these are the things you need to watch out for. These are the warnings. Beware and take care. After you enter the land, he warns them that they'll be tempted. And tempted in three ways. They may forget the Lord. They may abandon God and test God. And if you think about this, it makes, think about, think about your own life in terms of when you are really, really, really comfortable, it's easy to forget God, isn't it? it? It's easy to not remember where your comfort came from, where your peace came from. And that's what is happening here. Moses is saying, you're going to walk into... You won the lottery. <laughs> you're going to walk into great things. But you didn't do it, and be careful that you are so comfortable in what is happening here that you're going to forget the Lord. And so having listed all these ways in which God would bless them and the affluence that they would enjoy, He warns them to be careful to remember. Don't forget. Don't forget where this came from. Don't forget the Lord. It was Yahweh, and not anything that they had done, that led them out of Egypt and is also giving them this wealth that they're going to enjoy. So in their comfort, in this, uh, a sense of maybe self-sufficiency, uh, that could arise <clears throat> with the notion that, uh, uh, that this was not the work of their hands, this was the work of the Lord. So the Shema looms large in the background as they are to give the totality of their being to Yahweh. Not looking inward at the, themselves, but looking at outward at the Lord having done all this. Remembering that it was Him that was the giver of the blessings that they enjoyed. So there's a stern warning there in verse 12. And then verse 13 really is kind of the antidote for forgetting. Here's a way that you... Sh- here's, here's, here's something that can help you to not forget. And that is... that everything that they enjoy is because of Yahweh's blessing. Moses spells this out this way. They are to fear and serve Him and take oaths in His name. That's the antidote. They are to fear and serve Him and take oaths in in His name. To uh, serve and slavery have the same root meaning. And remember that... The people of Israel were vassals, they were slaves to Pharaoh beforehand, but now they're vassals or slaves to Yahweh. A major point in Deuteronomy is to fear God, and they're reminded to do that, to give him reverence. That's what's meant by the by fear here. Reverence, obedience, and total commitment, as we read in, in the Shema, the Great Commandment. This is how their love is to be acted out in their daily life, to fear. And to be a slave to God. To take oaths, that might not set well on our ears. Is that okay? And what that means here, uh, to take an oath or swear in his name, is to acknowledge that Yahweh as the highest authority. And points back to Deuteronomy 5.11, where God's name is not to be used frivolously uh, or in vain, but in seriousness and truth. That's what that means. (laughs) So keep your focus on serving and gathering together. That's what he's telling them. Serve the Lord. He is, you are the slave of Yahweh. Remember that. That will help you remember where all this came from and and, and, and who you are. For us, um, for us to not forget to serve the Lord to focus on how we can serve in our church, what we're doing right now, gathering together. That's our way of not forgetting. Moses was instructing Israel to do similarly, to remember the great commandment, remember the response to that, to teach these things always. (laughs) Gather together, serve the Lord in whatever way you're called. And that's what we are doing today. We are slaves just like they are slaves to Yahweh. We are His vassals. And then in verses 14 and 15, a second warning is given. And that is that they would be tempted to follow after other gods and fall into idolatry. If they forgot the God who was working for them, they were much so going back to the first thing, <laughs> warning, if, if you're going to forget, then it's much more likely that you're going to go after other gods, especially as you go into Canaan, and you have these other, this other people group who are worshiping a plethora of other gods, and saying, well, I, I, can, hear the, I can hear the advertisement for their other, other gods. One god good, two gods better no, (laughs) you just busted the first two commandments. (laughs) No, that is not better. It's not, that's not what is supposed to happen here. And so they're going to come into contact with this, with this other culture. There's the danger of abandoning Yahweh uh, for these surrounding idols. That'll be a strong pull. Uh, The Canaanites are going to tempt them with, with their religion and promises of benefits. And they have to remember, don't forget and don't fall into this trap of being tempted to follow other gods. It's a direct violation of the commandments that were given. And then we have verse 15, which is, again, kind of the antidote for this. What can we do in response to... Uh, to this problem of idolatry and going after other gods. And Moses reminds them that Yahweh is a jealous God. They're to have no other gods before them. The Hebrew word for jealous means only of God. We don't think of it that way, do we? Uh, when, we, heard the, when, we when we hear the word jealous or jealousy, we don't think of only of God. Our... our our version of jealousy is more of a trite thing that, like, oh, he's got three of those. I, I wish I had three. Whatever that is. <laughs> he's got a blue house. I wish I had. I wish I had a blue house. He's got a red Corvette. We talked about red Corvettes last time. <laughs> he's got a red Corvette. Wish I had a red Corvette. <laughs> and on and on and on. The frivolous kind of jealousy. That's not what this is the word jealous here means only of God. that's the that's the, the meaning only of God uh, this word for jealousy is is used uh, uh, in exodus and deuteronomy six times exodus 25 uh, 20 verse 5 um, Exodus 34 verse 14 twice which we'll read in a minute Deuteronomy 4:24 deuteronomy 5 9 and where we're at right now deuteronomy 615. In Exodus uh, chapter 34, verse 14, we read this, You shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. So if you remember what jealous means, only of God, whose name is only of God, and is only of God. And that's the meaning here, that's the sense. It's, so it's not the same as the, the petty jealousy that we, we normally think of. It's rather an emphasis that there, there will be no tolerance in the worship of other gods. Yahweh is God alone, period. There is no other. He is only of God. It's sort of like saying the, uh, the I Am. It's another way of, uh, it's that sense that Yahweh is the I Am, That's the sense used here with the word uh, jealousy. So he demands a commitment to the covenant and to their allegiance to him alone as their God. Practicing idolatry is forgetting the covenant. It's forgetting the truth that there's only one God. This is a covenant violation. This covenant violation demands God's wrath, as we see at the end of, of 15 as a, uh, a consuming fire destroying a person from the face of the earth. So the, the antidote here in terms of going after other gods, remember, your God is a jealous God. There is only one God. He is the only one of God. Period. Remember that. And then a third warning is given in verses 16 and 17. <clears throat> and that's to not doubt Yahweh. Yahweh or to test him in verse 16 Moses recalls an incident at a place called Massah meaning the place of testing it's actually in in Exodus 17 Massah and Meribah uh, this is the first instance where the people quarreled with Moses about wanting water um, as a matter of fact I'm going to skip over to that Exodus 17 just to look at that that passage, Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7, just to remember this, this, this incident of the people. Now, this is, this is, uh, this is not where Moses uh, had his downfall, where he struck the rock when he wasn't supposed to. That's later. Uh, this is where he did, because he was supposed to. Uh, verses 1 through 7. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of, of, I'm going to say, Sin. Sounds better than Sin. (laughs) That's probably the correct pronunciation anyway. (laughs) They moved on from the wilderness of Sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord. And they camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, "'Give us water to drink.' And Moses said to them, "'Why do you quarrel with me? "'Why do you test the Lord?' But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, "'Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us, "'our children, our livestock, with thirst?' So Moses cried to the Lord, "'What shall I do with this people?' They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand a staff, the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord, saying, "Is the Lord among us or not?" Massah literally means uh, testing, and Meribah means quarreling, a place of Testing and quarreling is what Moses named the place because that's what was happening there at at that place. And so, here in this in this section of of our uh, passage here, verse sixteen, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted Him at Massah and Meribah, the place of testing and, and quarreling. Um. The, the word tempted here means test, to test the Lord. And what's really happening here is it's unbelief. They, did, they, they, they weren't trusting the Lord for their provision. So the word testing here really means their unbelief. <clears throat> so here they are, where God has provided them in so many ways but they still weren't trusting. And of course we see that over and over and over and over again. And so the Lord uh, Moses rather is warning them not to question God's sovereignty, not to question his power and his ability to preserve them just as he has in the past. And in 17, we have the antidote to this unbelief and that's to keep the Lord's commandments to, to keep his testimonies and statutes, trust the Lord So we think of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all ways and He will make make your path straight. And so that's what the antidote is. Trust the Lord. Trust His Word. Trust His commandments, His testimonies, everything that you have seen Him done. You can trust the Lord in His sovereignty. And going back to the uh, the action point of the Shema, write His words on your hearts daily. <laughs> in your hearts, on your doorposts, on the gates of the city, make sure that you you are in the Word of God and in His will, and you can trust in His sovereignty and His provision. And so, that's a good lesson for us too today. And so that is their, their antidote for, for their unbelief, basically. They're testing the Lord and, and not believing that He could really provide for them. And then this section wraps up in verses 18 and 19. This, these two verses display the conditional aspect of the covenant with Yahweh. That in order for favorable results in the conquest of the land they are to follow God's commands and are to do what is right and good God's promise of the land to the patriarchs was unconditional when he when when the Lord promised this land to Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob there were no conditions. It was just, you're going to have this. But now, the law has been given, and there are conditions with the next generation, that you must do these things for it to go well with you. And so, for the patriarchs, it was unconditional, but now as they are about to go into the land, they they do have to mind their P's and Q's, so to speak, and do what is right and good before the Lord. So Yahweh's desire is that they will love Him. Remember, going back to the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And if you do that, following the commandments should not be difficult. You obey out of love. You obey with the right motivation. And then it will go well with you. And God's eternal purposes will remain forever. And they remain forever, even if you fail. But there will be punishment. Enemies will come in and defeat you, which happens. And there, there may be deportation, which happened. And, and they lose the land, which happened. And so that, that, those things happen because of their disobedience. But the covenant and here's the plug for the millennial series, the covenant is forever. And so they will regain the land, and they will rule, and they will rule all the nations. And so the the covenant is an eternal covenant, but at the same time, there is judgment for disobedience. And so that section gives us a few of the commands that... Uh, the, the second set of commands. The first, the great greatest commandment, and that's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And now we have the second set. Don't forget the Lord. Don't go after other idols. Don't test the Lord with unbelief. Don't do these things. But trust in the Lord and what He's. look back at what He's done for you. And now we have this, this last section Verses 20 through 25, where we have really a call to action again. So we have those original verses in the Shema, and then a call to action that you're to write these things on your heart and and consider them when you rise up and when you go to bed and when you uh, and put them on your doorposts and on the gates of the city. That last section in the Shema. And here we have a something similar to that, kind of a companion to to that section of the Shema in verses 20 through 25. Let's, let's read this. So when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. And then he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in, to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is to this day. Then it will be righteousness for us, if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God, as he commanded us. So again, we we kind of have a a teaching moment again, as we we saw in verses 6 through 9. After the great commandment, that teaching moment. Here we have another teaching moment in verses twenty through twenty-five. A response to those those commandments of "Don't do this." So we are to talk about God all the time. Is what we learned uh, in in the. In those previous verses, in verses 6 through 9, conversation about God should dominate family life. Uh, many of us say say our prayers with our children and encourage them as they get older to have their own prayer prayer times and study times. God should be on our minds when we fall asleep, when we get up. We talk about our quiet time with the Lord, and Deuteronomy teaches that we really can never have enough of that that time alone with God or that time when shared with family members. So verse 20 <clears throat> introduces the response to these commands to not, that of not forgetting, not to go after other gods, not to test Yahweh. Uh, and we all know that kids ask questions, don't they? Kids ask questions. All kinds of questions are a certainty from our children. If parents are actively demonstrating their love for God and obeying God's laws, the children will want to know why the parents are doing what they're doing. Why do you do that? (laughs) The questions will not simply be what the laws are, but asking why are these laws kept? Why do we keep these laws? What's the point of doing these things that we do? When you look back at, uh, at uh, uh, verses 6-9, through nine, why are we doing this? Why does this type of living structure exist for us? Is what some of the children of Israel, the, the, the literal kids, <laughs> may have asked. <clears throat> Today we might hear, and those of you who are parents, maybe you heard this. Have you ever heard from your children, why do we go to church? Or do we have to go to church? Maybe some of us ask that question. <laughs> <clears throat> why do we read the Bible? Why do we pray? Verse 20 says, we need to give an answer. Why are you going to to church today, Dad. It's Friday night at seven o'clock. Why are you going? Well, and I'm gonna I'm gonna answer for Peter. There's a bad solar panel up on the roof. <laughs> why are you going? Why are you going to church on Monday afternoon? And I'll answer for Jason. I want to check that. AED machine. That defi- is that what it's called? <laughs> that defibrillator. <laughs> Why are you doing that? <clears throat> well, I'm serving. I'm serving the Lord in what I'm doing. So we need to be careful that we don't just say because I said so or because, even because God said so. Verse 21 says, Then you shall say to your son, meaning, talk to your son, instruct your children, explain to them. We should have solid biblical answers, and those answers should be reflected in our own behavior. Biblically, what's our answer to that question, and is that reflected in what we do? Those those two things are important that they go together in instruction for our children. And so verses, uh, so verses 20, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Then you shall say to your son, you need to teach. And then you, you, you see how the, what the response is. We were slaves in Pharaoh. Uh, we were slaves of Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. And he then begins to recount, he tells the story. He tells the story of what happened to them. It wasn't this abstract theological explanation where, let me go get out... Let me go get out my concordance and my Bible dictionary and my and five commentaries to explain this to you. No, just let me tell you the story. Let me tell you the story of God's love for us, and what the Lord did here and here and here and here. let me let me talk to you about God's love. These next three verses, four verses twenty one through twenty four, then Moses gives a teaching guide for parents, kind of a catechism of, of sorts of questions and answers. They may, they may ask a question, here's the answer. And Moses provides a, a very compact summary of important events that define Israel's relationship with God. The Exodus, how he brought them out of, of the land of Egypt. The Land Gift, the, the, the gift of land that they're about to embark on in just a few days. The, the patriarchal promise. All of those are included here in these four verses. The parents would tell about being slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. Um, or at least they would tell about their grandparents being slaves of, if, if, uh, if their parents had died. Because many of them did die in the, the wilderness. But there were stories to tell of being slaves, and the Lord bringing them out. They were under the laws and the exploitation of Pharaoh, but now they're under the law of Yahweh, the one who freed them, but unlike the oppression that they had suffered in Egypt, here they're going to live under the rule of Yahweh, which is a gift of a good life, which has already been explained to them, the good life that they are about to embark on and things that are going to be given to them that they had no hand in and the Lord just provided. All those things that had been promised to uh, to the patriarchs, their fathers, beforehand so there was no detailed (laughs) theological discourse they just told the story and that's really a, a good lesson for us to tell is to tell our story how did the lord save us how has the lord provided for us what what are our blessings tell your story as you get older i'm sure the the, the, uh, the the conversations can be deeper theologically, and that's fine, but especially when our kids are younger, they just need to know they just need to hear the story and uh, I started to try to sing that song, tell me the story of jesus and and and, and if I had if I had a musical person here, I'd say, "Okay, come up here and lead us in, tell me the story anyway. we won't do that." <laughs> But for them, there were exciting stories to tell. And for us, it's the same thing. We have stories to tell, and we should tell those stories to our kids as they ask us, why are we doing this? Do we have to go to church? Yes. Here's why. And we explain to them our own salvation, how the Lord rescued us from situations that were very dire and maybe in the middle of right now. Because... uh, (laughs) um, uh, a pastor that we used to sit under said you know what just about uh, uh, not just about everybody is either going into a problem or coming out of a problem there's something that you can point to that you're either coming out of something or you're going into something or you're right in the middle of it <laughs> you're, you're, in, you're, you're going into something you're in the middle of it or you're going out of it there's something there's always something that the Lord uh, uh, will will test us with and it's a way of him testing our faith and to make sure do we believe with the totality of our heart and soul and strength as as given uh, earlier in Deuteronomy. <clears throat> so, This is, again, this section, these verses 20 through 24, really point to the importance of us telling the story. And then finally, verse 25, Moses provides one more reason for keeping the law. And that will, it will be righteousness for them. Obedience will be righteousness for them. Now, we need to be careful about this, don't we? Because what might they think? Or what might we think reading this? We may think that, oh, if I do this, that means I'm a righteous person. If I'm obedient, if I... Here's, here's the list of things to do. Do this, do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Then that means I'm a righteous person. And that's not what's being said here. That's not the point. Don't think that because of our obedience to the law that we're righteousness. Moralism is not righteousness. Just because you can say, I'm a good person, doesn't mean you're righteous in the eyes of God. That's not what's being said here. MacArthur had a, I think, I don't know if it's a book or a or a sermon, The Deadly Dangers of Moralism. Anybody know, was that a book or, or a sermon? It's a little pamphlet. Is it a pamphlet? Okay, The Deadly Dangers of Moralism. Hmm? Probably was a sermon. Was a sermon. <laughs> <laughs> Right, it was a sermon. So don't think that your obedience uh, makes you righteous. Righteousness is not achieved by obedience to the law. The context of Deuteronomy doesn't point to that conclusion. And the thought is not consistent with any biblical teaching. The point of the father's response to a son is that obedience to the law is the only right response to the saving acts of Yahweh. Because of of Yahweh saving us and blessing us, this is the only right response there can be, and that is to be obedient. Our obedience comes out of a motivation of, of the love that God has for them, and the same for us. Our obedience comes from pointing to the love that God has for us, which should turn over to our love for Him, and that's why we want to be obedient, is because we love the Lord our God with our, all our heart, soul, and strength. Back to the Shema. Back to the great commandment. That is righteousness. righteousness—is making—is knowing that your obedience comes out of love for God, not because of this is what I have to do. I have to do this. In our In our giving, in our serving, our motives need to be pure. We give because we love the Lord. we serve because we love the Lord, not because we have to serve the Lord because we, we love. we love the people of God, we love God, and that's the motivation. and that is what this means by this will be our righteousness. our our proper head attitude in obedience. Think about Cain and Abel. Both provided a sacrifice. Yes? Yes? But Cain, he just followed the rules. Didn't love God. And his sacrifice was not acceptable. His obedience was not righteous obedience. He followed the rule, letter of the law, but it was rejected because of his, his not love for God, because he didn't do this out of love. It was not a righteous obedience. Philippians 2 12 through 13 speaks of our work for God, because of our salvation and not because of our work, because our work would lead to salvation. 12 and 13, "Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And so we have come back to the Shema several times full circle that our attitude of serving, of of slavery to the Lord is to be motivated by our love. For the Lord, not because of a list of do's and do, uh, do's and don'ts that we, we have to keep, but because of of what the Lord has done f- for us, how the Lord has loved us, and so we love Him, and that's our attitude that, that uh, He wants us to have. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for uh, thank you for the, the, this passage. Thank you for especially in light of everything we, we've we've read here, we can compare our own story, our own journey, our own lives to, to the Israelites. The, we can think of times maybe when we've been in the desert and wandering around and asking and wondering and even questioning God and yet you've proved yourself over and over and over to us in so many ways. You, uh, your righteousness is, is true You are pure, you are holy, and we can trust you in all things as demonstrated here in these verses. And as we look in our own lives, we see the same demonstration and we thank you for that. And so we ask that uh, and pray that our love for you would increase more and more each day. Your love is eternal and powerful and wavers not at all and we we would pray for that same kind of love which we know we will find one day when we are in glory and we wait expectantly for that day. Thank you for all of this. In Christ's name, amen.